1: What's up, everybody? Welcome into the OBR Film Breakdown. It's a Thursday edition, this week going much slower than last week because we didn't have a holiday in the middle of this week, which, you know, kind of breaks up the monotony of it. We're already to Thursday, dragging a little bit, but we'll get there. I'm Jake Burns. I'm your host. I'm bringing Jordan Zerm in. And and listen, Jordan, we have a great topic, uh, a user, not a user, because that would be a different sort of thing. A listener, fan of the show, presented this idea. It's called the ripple effect idea, Okay. So what we're going to do, man, we are going to go through recent Browns decisions, largely uh, related to the draft, and talk about which one would have had the biggest downline ripple effect on the franchise. All right. Got
2: mm, okay. it. OK, I'm into it.
1: All right, cool. So this is, breaks up a little bit of the camp monotony preview stuff. I think it's got a chance to be both grueling and kind of fun at the same time to talk about which one would have had the bigger impact. So we look back, we're going to go kind of most the most modern we can, which I think starts in 2014. All right. So if you recall, 2014 had you Clowney, Greg Robinson, uh, Blake. I think Greg Robinson still is in a federal prison for the the incident he had at the border. Right. I think I can't Oof. remember. Uh,
2: you could be right. I don't have a memory of that, but he could be.
1: He got arrested for uh, uh, trying to smuggle or something like that. Uh, it oh, wasn't okay. great. Well, he was, He's one of the biggest humans man. I've ever interviewed in person. I could not believe he could play tackle. Just a gigantic <laughs> guy. Um Okay, so uh, Blake Bortles third, just refreshing your memory, Sammy Watkins, Khalil Mack, those are your first five picks. This draft, the Browns are sitting at eight, where they take Justin uh-huh. Gilbert, and then they very famously uh, take at 22nd, uh, they go up and get Johnny Manziel. So, the, the question from this one, I'm not really worried about the eighth pick, although Justin Gilbert's uh, the biggest fan of Johnny Manziel because he hides him from public scrutiny, Um <laughs> Because, you know, like, you know, Mike Evans and Khalil Mack, some of those guys, You know, I get it. They, they couldn't have gotten him. I mean, they could have, listen, they could have had Taylor Luan, Odell Beckham, Aaron Donald, neither here nor there. I'm not going to worry about the eighth pick, which is kind of crazy. We're talking about 22 because there was a large part of, of like the, the contingency there, which was Kyle Shanahan and some others. that were very interested in a different quarterback at that spot. So there has been buzz that they were interested in Derek Carr. They were interested in, uh, if I recall, Teddy Bridgewater, who went pick 32, Carr went pick 36. In this scenario, this ripple effect option will be that Derek Carr goes number 22 to the Browns. Okay, so that would change things. I think we could both agree that he would bring some stability for a pretty prolonged period to the quarterback position. Right. So that's ripple effect option one. Uh, He would have brought, I think, like I said, a pretty good amount of stability. Never pretty much. I think would have been the same guy in Oakland as he was in Cleveland. All right. So that's number one. We're going to skip over the 15 draft where I don't think there's anything. The Browns took Danny Shelton. But if you recall the 15 draft, like it's not a great draft. Immediate picks after the Danny Shelton pick. Uh, Anders Pete, Devontae Parker, Melvin Gordon, Kevin Johnson, the cornerback, Kevin Johnson. Um, Marcus Peters, Cameron Irving. So, yeah, the Browns had two picks there. Then they take Cameron Irving. But, like, again, not really a loaded draft there. They they, they didn't do well, but, again, not, not really a ripple effect from that draft. The 16 draft gets interesting. They actually, the ripple effect of this is the opposite end of it, where we think they made the right choice, I would say here, Jordan. So what if they would have stayed at two and taken Carson Wentz? Right. Because they move out of two, they go down to eight, trade out of yep. eight, which there's not really a good hypothetical for me. I guess Laramie Tunzel is a hypothetical, but yeah, you know, you're kind of pushing it. So the ripple effect of the 16 draft is that you stay at two, you take Carson Wentz. All right. That's option two. Hopefully you're keeping these got- in order. Option I three, am. we, get, got, my, we get... got my notes going. <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: Option three, 2017's draft. I'm not going to do the redraft where you take Mahomes first. Right. I'm not even asking if they should have moved up a couple picks, like Kansas City jumped in front of them and ta- and selected Mahomes at ten. I'm asking if they just would have stayed at twelve and not traded out of the pick and selected Deshaun Watson. Okay, yeah. So option three is getting Miles Garrett and Deshaun Watson way back in 2017. All right. Option four, getting into 2018's draft now, which feels like yesterday in a way. It's kind of crazy. Um, probably tied to the fact that my firstborn child is in 2018. And I say that every day about how old he's getting, um, here, the buzz, if you recall, I think the buzz was relatively strong leading up to the draft that Dorsey really liked, you know, Josh Allen, that not, they were wrong. Dorsey clearly was a Baker guy, but like there was some pretty strong Josh Allen buzz. I think you would agree with that, right? I know there was, there was, he, some, he was,
2: he was mocked number one. I mean, I remember, I very vividly remember Mel Kiper Jr. had him mocks number one to the Browns for like almost the entirety of that draft process. So, yeah, there was a t- I mean, I feel like it was Josh Allen until it
1: wasn't. Yeah. Then there was like the Sam Darnold. Who was the guy?
2: Is oh, it, yeah.
1: He's in Denver. He went through a really rough Twitter stretch. What's his name? Albright. And tweeted oh, like boy. Darnold or something yeah. like that. Well, I
2: remember too, that's when um, John Dorsey was sitting with Sam Darnold's parents at his pro day uh, at USC and everybody uh, freaked out about that. So I remember that very, very vividly too, but yeah, no, there was a, it was a mix, but there was some pretty strong, I remember the buzz being stronger for Josh Allen for a while than it ever was for Sam Darnold.
1: Okay. So we'll say Josh Allen being the number one pick instead of Baker Mayfield. We won't even mess with Denzel Ward. All right. Um. All right, then the 19 draft. The hypothetical out of the 19 draft is that they don't trade for Odell Beckham. They just keep their pick at pick 17 and they draft this really good defensive tackle named Dexter Lawrence, who's phenomenal.
2: Yeah.
1: All right. The 20 yep. season. Noted. I think the 19 one is an underrated ripple effect moment. We'll talk about it. Yeah. 20 is Jedrick Wills selected at 10 this is getting a little tough because these are so recent they're not really settled but i do think you can say tristan wirfs is a far superior player so you would say the ripple effect here is taking tristan wirfs and and moving him to the number 10 pick i think you could start to argue that the antoine i mean the antoine winfield pick the one immediately behind grant delpit in the second round same position has Mm -hmm. slanted winfield's direction significantly but yep I do think Delpit came on really strong last year and that one's just sort of unsettled. So we'll leave that alone. But I I do think, I do think Jedrick Wills and and Tristan Wirfs here is, is pretty obvious two pro bowls deep and an all pro for first team, all pro for Worfs And uh, Jed is not in the same realm. So that is one. And then I don't think there's anything from the 21 draft. I felt good enough to, uh, to talk about. So um, what I'm asking us to do and listen, One decision doesn't change all the other ones like like the Browns are still making the same decisions after or before the ripple effect move you're talking about. So, yeah, I think that's worth just talking through like which one would have had the biggest impact off the top of my head. The ones that stand out that would have really, really changed the scope of things, the Derek Carr decision at 22 or where were they originally selecting in that one? Do you remember what they moved Um, up and gave up? Because I actually don't remember what they moved. They moved up to get him. I just don't remember what the trade was. Let me look. That's why we have computers in front of us. Browns trade yeah. up for Johnny Manziel. Big Johnny.
2: Um, yeah, I don't remember either.
1: They traded up to number 22 with the Eagles. Go figure. Um. Let me see if it tells us. Pro Football Talk doesn't give us... The information we're looking for so it looks like cleveland gave up 26 in a third round pick at 83 to go up to 22 so that 83rd pick yielded looks like philly moved down again the 83rd pick was lewis nicks but there were some players around like john brown was a nice receiver for a while he was around it guys who were still around the league like jarek mckinnon We'll leave it at that. I mean, you know, you're tar- you're, tar- you're starting to talk about the pick eighty three. Chris Borland was a great one year linebacker. Uh, went a couple picks before, but anyway, so that's one that stands out because I think it would have changed the scope of everything after it. Drafting Carson Wentz. I mean, God, these are hard to rank. Now that I'm thinking through, like drafting Carson Wentz. You know, I think too. Like, like Wentz was pretty good early. So what kind of he effect was is, you know what kind of yeah, effect Yeah, he was does that really have? good
2: early, but they also had a I feel like the Eagles had a much better team around him as well. I mean, he obviously played he played very well. Um I I wonder yeah with Wentz whether it would have like whether he would have had that kind of if he would have even had an MVP-like season like he did for the Eagles the year they won the Super Bowl, like, if that even comes to fruition um, with sort of what, like, the Eagles sort of had built around him compared to what the Browns had at that time, which was – I mean, that was coming off, right? That was basically coming off one of either Sashi's first – or first year, like, first year of the teardown. So, like, that was a – I mean, they were – they were pretty barren in terms of yeah. uh, the cupboard that was uh, that would have been around him um so but it's i mean no, it's a really interesting one i think
1: well let's look I at the let's if, look at the 16 yeah, 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 stat yeah. leaders um real quick and we'll just see if like if that would have yielded something positive for him so 16 stat leaders in the receiving department for him would have been Terrell Pryor went for 1000 yards that happened oh
2: the ter- the 1000 yard season for for Terrell
1: Gary Barnage went for six twelve, Duke Johnson five fourteen, rookie Corey Coleman, four thirteen, and our boy Andrew Hawkins, three twenty four. Oh my
2: goodness. What a so, what a roster.
1: So you wanna look at like the Eagles, which I believe they didn't they open with the Eagles that year. Isn't that the McCown? They did. Game? <laughs>
2: yeah, they did and they lost and everybody was like, Well, because I, me- I remember Carson Wentz throwing a re- – he actually threw a really nice ball into the corner of the end zone. I don't know who caught it. But I remember just being like, oh, well, that's perfect. Like he throws this dime <laughs> for a touchdown like in the first quarter. Um, I remember that well. I don't remember who caught it though.
1: He threw uh, 3,782 yards, 16 touchdowns, 14 interceptions that year. His receiving targets, Jordan uh, Matthews, Zach Ertz, okay. Darren Sproles, Oh, your boy right. Doriel Green Beckham, Oh Nelson boy. Aguilar. G B.
2: Well, okay. Well, maybe I'm. Yeah, maybe I'm. I'm wrong. That's not as um as good of a skill position set around him as I maybe thought that they had at the time.
1: But the difference is that they had, you know, uh, obviously Lane, Johnson, yep. and Jason Peters and Jason Kelsey. Like they had a group. Yep. Brandon Brooks at guard. Like the offensive line was yep. significantly better. So that's an element and the defense was better. And that's why you get to seven and nine instead of one and 15. So, all right. So the wince yeah. the wins ripple is pretty big on the right side of things because he would have struggled as we know. Yes. Yes. All right. So we go back, we look at, I'm trying to go all the way back. Now uh, the 17 draft, just selecting Deshaun Watson looms pretty large. It, it looms yep. pretty large. Um, the eighteen one taking Josh Allen. There are a lot of people, Jordan, who argue that Deshaun and Josh Allen never become who they are. If they're coached by the coach that was here, I don't live in that world. I think good players find a way to be good for the most part. There are some fringe career outcomes, but like, I don't think that they would have just been absolutely broken. They would have gotten another, they would have, you know, they would have received another coach. Maybe wouldn't have gone the Freddie kitchens way, but they would have received another coach. So I don't think yeah, you can live I in think, a world and say like they're going to be significantly worse than what they they no. was.
2: No, for sure. I think. I mean, it is interesting because I think we look at Josh Allen as a pretty big anomaly in terms of you know what he was in college, what his completion percentage was, what just his general accuracy issues were, even in his first couple of years in the league, and how the Bills really. Um, yeah. And Brian Dable, like that just really, you know, turned to, it's obviously not all the coaching staff. Josh Allen obviously got better himself and worked really hard.
0: Mm-hmm. I think
2: it's interesting because between the two, I would say that I very much feel like with Deshaun, he, he was just a better, a, a better prospect coming out um, was a guy that, you know, I mean, Josh uses his legs, but like Deshaun, had that, um, was a better passer of the football. Like, so I, between the two, I would say that, yes, I think Deshaun would have been fine no matter, you know, what the coaching was. I think with Josh, there is a little like, okay, yeah, does he turn into, you know, what he turns into with the Bills? Because it does seem like there is a, they, they did, they found something specific in him that, as a, a lot of other teams have failed with similar quarterbacks, that sort of type of quarterback coming out of college that just never, you know, it's, you don't, you don't really, people always say like you can't teach accuracy, like accuracy rarely gets as uh, as much better as it has, you know, for guys like it has for yeah. Josh Allen. So I think that's interesting. I think Josh, it would have been harder much harder for Josh to succeed in Cleveland than I think it would have been for Deshaun. So I almost feel like the Deshaun one is a bigger bigger ripple effect because of that.
1: I like it. Okay, so the next year, Josh Allen, like we said, then we gave one more bonus one, which is, two, which is Odell never becoming a Brown, which yeah. I, I do wonder... You know, Obviously, Dexter Lawrence would have helped a defense that is still kind of hunting for the right defensive tackle. Maybe they have a yeah. Dalvin Tomlinson, maybe will, they don't. Will you
2: remind me what all they gave up, what that full trade was?
1: Yeah, we can do that. Um, let's go Browns trade for Odell. Obviously involved a player, Jabril Peppers went. That's so right. they gave up Zeitler, Jabril Peppers, and their first-round pick. Yeah. It's big. It's big. That's a lot. That's it essentially is, it is three a lot. first round quality players at that. I mean, Jabril's probably like a second round, but Zeitler was playing yeah. elite football. Yep. And, you know, they paid, they paid, you know, both batonio has been extended multiple times and then they paid Wyatt Teller. So it's not like they didn't value it, right? So, yeah. I mean, that it's, one's pretty it's interesting.
2: That one's pretty big. And that one, there's like sort of a double ripple there, right? Because, like, one, let's say, right? We go back to, okay, they took, they take Deshaun Watson, right? And then they still do what they do and they still make this trade for Odell. You would like to think that Odell's impact in Cleveland would have been much larger if he was playing, (laughs) if he was playing with a different quarterback. Now, you know, it's impossible to sort of measure how much bigger the impact would be. He had his own, you know, he had his own issues and obviously he had the injury um, that caused him to miss, you know, most of a season. So, like, you know, none of that stuff changes. But I think that is a sort of interesting double ripple, where like, okay, say the Browns, yeah, I just stayed put and took Deshaun at twelve a um, couple of years prior. Uh, still trade for Odell, have a better quarterback throwing in the ball, maybe he makes a bigger impact. Maybe, you know, th- things go a different way than obviously, you know, I mean, the worst case scenario is kind of what happened uh, with him in Cleveland. So that that's an interesting one to think about.
1: It's a very interesting one. And I think the last one we threw in was the Jedrick Wills and yeah. Tristan, uh, Tristan worst one. So I want to do two bonus. Okay. And then I have a big question All right. for you. The first All right. bonus is, they, they actually go with the recommendation from the analytics department and hire Sean McDermott over Hugh Jackson ooh, ooh,
2: in 2016. That's a
1: great one. That's and a the, great one. The other one is they don't hire Freddie Kitchens in 2019. So here are the guys hired in 2019. Cliff Kingsbury to the Cardinals, Zach Taylor to the Bengals, Vic Fangio to the Broncos, Matt LaFleur to the Packers, oh. Brian Flores to the Dolphins, Adam Gase, and then the one that was most rumored, if he would have, if they would have gone after him, was Bruce Arians, who went to the Bucks. That's right. So, and they um, also they also interested, sorry, interviewed Kevin Stefanski at that time for the job they did decided not I to remember hire him. that. So, those are two I, now. Go ahead.
2: Yeah, I was just gonna say. I mean, well, you can make your point before. I I think for me, I was actually reading. I'm still very fascinated by the Sashi Brown era of Browns football because of what they attempted to do. And then when they hired Hugh Jackson, how that really just completely took it in a different direction. And I read something recently, you know, because Sashi is now, what, is he president of football for the Ravens? I'm not sure his exact
1: title. Mm -hmm. Um, Something important. But he's back in...
2: Yeah, he's back in football after being part of the Washington Wizards. Um,
1: Good time to get out of the Washington Wizards business. Yeah,
2: good time to to get out of there. Um, But just reading about how everybody was sort of on board with this plan of this teardown, um, you know, becoming a more analytical operation, you know, the people that had in the building, everybody, for the most part, you know, was on on that side of it, was on board with hiring Sean McDermott and then, you know, Jimmy Haslam and some other people overruled them and they hired Hugh Jackson. I I think it's hard to I think the impact would be immeasurable had they hired a coach that had understood and was okay with what their actual plan was whereas they went in the opposite direction and disbanded this plan a couple years in uh, even though this was sort of the thing from the start. I think I don't know exactly what happens you know it's hard to like quantify what would happen but like for the organization to have been on the same page with everyone from top to bottom for what was everybody knew was going to be some really hard and frankly you know kind of revolutionary is too strong but you know pretty um
1: Pretty. They're on the forefront of know. a lot of things happening. They're now. on the it's forefront of
2: the stuff. Exactly. Yeah. They were. They were sort of ahead of their time in terms of completely tearing down a roster and starting over um, because they they were going nowhere. Uh, and had they had a coach who was like, I get it. Like we're going to be really bad for three years, but I'm going to work and I'm going to develop our young talent and I'm going to become better as a coach, et cetera, et cetera. You just wonder, like, does that regime last longer? Is it? You know, is there not so much? I feel like a lot of people look at that time period as this absolute disaster, which like I, you know, that's a conversation for another day and we've already, we've had that conversation millions of times, but like, it, yeah, it's, it's very, I think that would be the biggest ripple effect, honestly, maybe even more than, you know, taking Deshaun Sean or, you know, anything like that. Cause that just changes the trajectory of what they were trying to do. So that one for me is huge.
1: I think the last one we have to throw in is they don't hire John Dorsey. They they just they go in some other direction. I'm not saying they go to Andrew Barry earlier than that, but like they just don't they don't hire John Dorsey. Which again, it's like you seem to have one plan, and then you have this these two these clashing people you yep. bring in, and it's hard to say that that plan failed when it's like did that plan ever get you know appropriately attacked? You know what I mean? So yep. I think yep. that's the last one. Now what I'm gonna do for you is give you two. You can pick any two of those and fix them. Make them right. With the knowledge you have now, which two are you picking? I
2: think it is a really tough question. I mean, the Derek Carr one is tempting, but I think if you think about Derek Carr and and his sort of ceiling as a quarterback, it doesn't quite do it for me. But that one is – I had forgotten that he was – because that, to me, the 2014 draft, I think, is one of the most damaging drafts the Cleveland Browns have ever had in their entire history. So um, yeah. that one is really interesting. But I do think that, like, as sort of, you know, what the Raiders had with him is, yeah, you have a, a couple playoff appearances and not really much else to show for it. Um, I think the two for me would be hiring Sean McDermott instead of Hugh Jackson. I think that one's really big, as I just mentioned. And I do think the other one is you come out of a you come out of that draft with Miles Garrett and Deshaun Watson, and I I think your football team looks very different than um, I think you get started, you start building something with a quarterback, and like we talked about, who would still be maybe not a hundred percent of what he was in Houston, although they weren't a they frankly weren't a great organization either, um, but you know they had more pieces in place and and you know sort of an, an offense that catered to, to what Sean was I think that one you come out with two basically you know all pro players from one draft uh and you don't have to worry about the QB position and that changes a lot so I think I I, I think those are the two for me Jake that I I think would have been the biggest ripple effects in a positive way if they had if they had gone the way that I think me and you both maybe think they should have, um, with, with, with hindsight, it. of course.
1: Yeah, I'll also, um, knowing kind of some things, I, I think that the two that like your two are the right to the two that carry because if you take Odell, then maybe you get tricked into Baker Mayfield for longer, right? Like, yep, yep. And again, I do want to recognize that Josh Allen was not the prospect Deshaun Watson was, even though Josh went ahead, I, I still. I feel like people started to become, after Mahomes, it changed a lot about how people, and I know we didn't even know who Mahomes was really yet uh, okay. when the, the draft took place in 2018, but like, I think teams started to shift like a little bit of when they saw Mahomes go where they did, a team jumped up, he played that Week 17 game, you could kind of sense it. Like we're just going to draft tools, you guys. So I, I think we're like, well, one guy was taken twelfth and one guy was taken seventh. How can you say they're not the same prospect? I just think that one carried a lot more risk. So yeah, I, I, I will say. And again, those drafts and quarterbacks selected are so largely dependent on which teams need quarterbacks and like the number you're selected doesn't necessarily, you know, put a place on where you were as a prospect. So I want to be careful about that. But like. I think the 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 McDermott hire being in 16 you would have had a rough 16 season but your draft before the 17 season is with a with the right head coach in place the right unified approach and then you fix quarterback and you get Miles and you go from there. I think yep. that's the right answer. I don't I don't really think yep. you could change so many other things uh, but I I just think when you focus in on that specific spot right maybe maybe you can but again like my thing with then if you're going the mcdermott route and just erasing the hugh jackson era, which is something he would just love to do does he <laughs> get the third year with the 2018 picks you know like yeah. that would be they would have a rough 16 and 17 and maybe he would have because we, hugh jackson got the third year so maybe he would have but it's it's still jimmy and it's a coin flip you know and that alternate universe there so i think you're making the two right choices and uh, although like you said you know the, the the tempting thing with odell and getting all that back it's like if you yes. just focus in on that it's like you could trick yourself into baker mayfield being there and then you're drawing that out longer maybe he gets an extension and you're in a you're very maybe he
2: maybe he's at your house right now maybe you and baker mayfield are are hanging out at this very moment you know we can't say jake we can't say
1: can't say which is a scary thought. We are going to take a break. I hope you guys enjoyed that segment. We'll be right back. And then if you're into, uh, not into what we're going to be talking about, which we're going to talk about a little bit of the Cavs, then we're going to talk maybe a little movies before Jordan heads out. This is the time to shut the pot off. But if you want to hear that stuff, stick around. We'll be right back.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
1: All right. I've got three burning questions as we close. This is not going to be a very long second segment. All right. So um, I love burning questions. All right. <laughs> These are great. Right. Jake Burns, burning questions. I got a marketing opportunity. Yeah, that's
2: You got to trademark that immediately.
1: Immediately. Um, Amani Bates. Why are people so quick to go to both ends of the spectrum? There are people who are doing the, I told you so. I was the first one to believe in this guy. Nobody else saw him. That side of it. And then there's the other side that just wants to watch a couple of summer league games and he's, he doesn't make enough shots or he you know, doesn't get enough assists and want to bear. Like do I like, guess what I'm asking is there a chance? Does he have a chance? Do you have a real chance here? This guy to be something of a rotational player for the Cavs? Yes or no.
2: Uh, I would say, yeah. I mean, he, it's going to take him, you know, the biggest thing is that he's literally going to have to change how he's played his entire life. Like he's going to have to slot, from a guy who always has the ball in his hands, who was a volume shooter, who didn't really care about efficiency, um, you know, who was always the best player on his on his team from probably, you know, the minute he started playing organized basketball to a guy that maybe is going to have like a four catch and shoot threes per game, you know, or like who's going to be moving off the ball and having to cut to the hoop and uh, playing without the ball in his hands, which is not something he is really used to. So it's I mean, it's going to be a lot for him um i think like there's a, i think there's a handful of factors that go into this i obviously wrote about this because it was it was getting it was just getting to a weird point to me with like yeah the, the all the opinions about this guy who got taken you know basically as a flyer at the end of the second round um which like the conversation around a guy like that should not be as intense as it is i mean obviously he's a big name he was you know the number one recruit um in high school uh, and i think it was 2021 and then or 2022 and then he reclassified so he could go a year earlier and then he was the number three overall recruit when he got to memphis i think he was also 17 years old when he played his first year which is insane so um I, there's that i think two i think we talk about ripple effects i think the Cavs playoffs sort of complete no-show um, really did a lot of sort of damage to the psyche, I think, of a, a lot of fans. I mean, myself included. Um, I don't think anybody expected that, them to play as poorly and look as like outmanned and outcoached against a still to this day pretty average New York Knicks team um, as they did. And so with when you have a disappointment like that, there's a lot of questions. You know, there's questions about um, the coach, but then there's questions about Kobe Altman and – do they value the right things in a roster? Are they trying to outsmart the rest of the NBA by sort of um, not having enough shooting and relying on a couple of big men to be a huge part of their team? they have two small guards, you know, there's conversations that have gone on all year, but sort of get like magnified. Um, and then, you know, the thing that follows the playoffs is the draft. Um, I mean, obviously, you know, free agency comes, but like the draft happens before that. And, People, I think, just are like, well, you know, are they going to move? There were rumors they were going to move up into the first round and they were going to take a shooter, and um, that didn't happen. They stayed put. And then – so then people are like, okay, well, then in the second round, if they're going to take a flyer on somebody, it should be somebody who can, you know, who can come in and be a rotational player and, um, and be a shooter that maybe they can bring off the bench and all that. And So there's, like, this expectation specifically this year that, like, whoever they took – for some odd reason, like there's all this scrutiny about it. Like it represents the Cavs drafting philosophy and like things that are just like, I think so far out of the realm of like what that pick is and how that pick should be looked at. And to me, it's like, they, I have no, I really have no issue with them taking a 19 year old kid who at one point was the best basketball prospect in the country. Um, You can see why occasionally, like his last, he really struggled his first summer league game. He was really bad. He was all the things that like people have criticized him for, but he, the second game was kind of whatever. But then his third game, he played really well. Um, And you can see like his catch and shoot stuff is good. He's really athletic. Like there's some things he can do. So I do think eventually he will, I mean, this is, I'm always optimistic about these things, but it's like, I think he has a chance to to be a rotation player, even if it's small minutes in the future. But, yeah, I've just, like, never seen a conversation around a I – think, I think it was pick number 49, like, uh, about that type of player who's played in t- – at the time, it was, like, two summer league games. I've never seen such strong opinions one way or the other on that type of player. So that was very wild. But I think, like, the playoff stuff, I think, has a lot to do with it.
1: It's – it's a negative aura around the organization. Very well yeah. said. I wanted to get somebody on who could who could talk about that pick because it's like this is an insane amount of uh, picking sides on a, on a late second-round pick here. Um, Donovan Mitchell gone. What's your hunch? Do you think he ends up leaving?
2: I, I think – I would say like right now I feel like yes. I think like it's hard for me to even begrudge him. He's – do you uh, trade him? I mean, they're going to be in a really tough spot, right? Because it's like, they're going to be good again. Um, so you have to figure out, like, do we want to, you know, see if, like, you know, we make a deep playoff run and then we sort of – he sees that, like, he has more success and he has another year in Cleveland and he and he he, want, he, want, he actually wants to stay here and he doesn't want to play somewhere else. So I I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what you do. I think there is a very – I think the stuff about New York and listen, he's from there. Like I get it, you know, as for people like us that are from Cleveland, we always want people from Cleveland to like play in Cleveland. You know, you have a strong connection to your hometown, no matter what. So like, I get it. And I think that stuff is very real that like he has desires and it doesn't help that he thought he was getting traded there. Like, I think that, that has made all of this much worse because in his mind, for a period of time he thought he was it was a done deal that he was going to the Knicks before the Cavs kind of swooped swooped in and got him. So I right now would say if I had to guess like yes I yes the Cavs end up trading him, but I I don't know man. I also can see it like they have this great season and and maybe you know he he gets closer with, with Darius Garland and, and Evan Mobley and, like, they have something really special brewing and he looks over the Knicks who are kind of just, you know, they're they're better, but they're not, I don't, their path forward is not as clear as the Cavs is in terms of, like, the Cavs can get leaps from a lot of their younger players, whereas the Knicks yeah. is just sort of like, they're kind of running it back as they are. So, um, I it's going to be really interesting. So, I would say right now, yeah, I think his desire to be there is going to be strong and he hasn't really had a chance to be a free agent or ask for a trade or any of that stuff. So, um, it's going to be interesting.
1: In hindsight, opening round with the Knicks, not great between the quotes from the quotes from, uh, you know, the big fella, um, jared Allen, and then you know you get the you get the stuff from donovan about you know the way he felt in that arena it's like could have maybe had any other first round opponent you know that'd have been great (laughs) yeah we
2: would have would have loved to play anyone else i guess but (laughs) talk uh,
1: about ripple effects that that first round series could have big ones on the future so all right quickly to the guardians doesn't have to be long are you trading shane bieber they're in the weirdest worst division that makes you want to tempts you so hard to keep bieber but it's like you know you're not winning a World Series with this team, so do you try to get the most you can out of him by trading him with a, that, that – I think he has one more year on arbitration that would draw a team to give like the maximum amount that they would give for him. You know what I mean?
2: Yeah. Uh, I would trade him in a heartbeat. I wouldn't think about it. And I – I, he's great, um, but there are some statistics out there about his – velocity being his velocity has been down now for a couple of a couple of years like he's not striking out nearly as many players like per nine innings uh, as many batters per nine innings as he was um, a season ago even a couple seasons ago when he was sort of at his peak like the metrics are going in the wrong direction uh, Mm -hmm. and he's getting older so and and here's the thing, Jake. The thing about the division is, like, yeah, it's, like, it's so open. That almost makes it easier, I think, to trade Beaver because I think you can still win the division without him. And especially if you can tr- make a trade with someone that's going to get you another, like, good bat. And that's what they should be looking for. And so, like, they've got a plethora of young guys. Um, th- three of them have already come up this season. Like, they've got so many arms. And they always have. And they probably always will. They're just they're one of the best teams at developing pitching in the entire major leagues. And it's been like that for a while. So I honestly, if they got a, a deal that brought them a bat that could, you know, really improve this lineup, which is still a terrible, terrible offensive lineup outside of Jose Ramirez and Josh Naylor. Like I would, I would do it in a heartbeat. I honestly wouldn't think about it. And I know that's, I know it's a little cold Shane appreciate you, man. But like, I, this is the time to do it. And yeah, you look at some of those metrics and I just don't think it's, it's going to get better. So I, I would do it.
1: Okay. I think I would too. I think I would too, especially with the pitching they have coming. So um, last question, you can pick two movies to see for the rest of the year. Here are your options. You can only pick two. All right. Obviously we have mission impossible dead reckoning part one that just came out the other day. I'm not sure if you've seen it or not. So if you have seen it, I have. I have not so. seen it yet. Okay, we're we're, we're doing a rewatch of all the Mission Impossible's been a blast. Can't wait to watch that one on Friday. Um your other options, uh, and it could be, listen, this could be your thing, Barbie. You get Oppenheimer is another option. Uh I got dunked on hard for not being interested in Barbie. I do think it actually has some appeal. So, we'll leave it. We'll leave it at that. I'll end up probably seeing it. Um <laughs> the other ones that you can uh, watch is the Scorsese DiCaprio I think it comes out oh, in October. Uh, um, let me see. Killers, uh, Killers of the Flower of the Moon.
2: Flower Moon. Yep.
1: Yep. De Niro. All of those. Uh, you know that cast is in there, and then you get Dune Part Two. So those oh. are your options. Now I think there's one uh, more, like Wonka. A... Timothy Chalamet. Wonka comes out. In December. <laughs> that's your. Yeah, that's, that's, that's your gonna pain.
2: be. That's gonna be a no for me. Um, okay. Those are good. The Dune Part Two throws a wrinkle into it because initially I was like. Killers of the Flower Moon, and for, my first pick is Oppenheimer. I can't wait for Oppenheimer. I am a be three. Christopher Nolan stan, apologist, whatever you want to call me. I love Christopher Nolan movies. I will watch anything he makes. So Oppenheimer, I can't. That's you know, that's in what two weeks? It's in the uh, so Mahomes can't tier wait for that.
1: Got to have it separated. Yes,
2: it is absolutely Mahomes tier. One, number one. No one's close. Um, but you know what? I might. I think Killers of the Flower Moon is going to be great. Scorsese doesn't miss a lot, and Leonardo DiCaprio is awesome, and it, the trailers have looked awesome. But you know, I watched Dune Part One. I'd never read the book. I didn't really know anything about Dune at all. Me neither. Um, yeah. And I watched Part One, and I was obsessed with. I was like, "This is amazing!" So I you actually do, man. like looking up, reading <laughs> yeah, about yeah.
1: the different stuff. I oh, bought man. the
2: I bought the book, at least the first book in the series, which is basically um, the second part of the second. Part of the film is going to cover, I think, the rest of this first book. So mm-hmm. uh, I bought the book. I read it. I loved it. It's just, you know how sometimes you're like, well, this might be a little too sci-fi for me. Also, it's an older, I believe it was written like in the seven, 70s, 80s. I forget when. Yeah, you're um, right about that. It's a bit of an older book. Yeah. So I was like, I don't know if I'm going to like this. Read the book, like ate it up. I might reread it before part two Hello. comes out so I can refresh my memory. It's um, a big deal. So I'm like... Yeah. I, I know I'm su- so I'm super into Dune. So I think actually I'm going to go with, cause a lot more happens in part two than part one um, from having read it. So I'm, I'm going to go Oppenheimer and Dune part two. That was a, that was a nice wrench to throw in. So those are,
1: those are my picks. In this weird twisted scenario I gave you, here's why I would go Dune part two as well. I know right. dead reckoning part one is part one of part two. I know they're going to survive true. and I know they're going to make yes. it. So, yep. I know I could probably jump into part two later on and have a decent feel for what's going on Dune part two. I've already seen part one. So I want to see the culmination of that. So pretty pumped about it. Listen, this is fun, man. The good thing is you can see, I'll allow you can see all of these. So I can give you. permission. Okay.
2: Thank you. I, I will say I am incredibly intrigued by Barbie. I was actually just reading the New York Times just had a long feature on the director, director Greta mm-hmm. Gerwig. Um, she's done some great stuff. Her, she's done great stuff, and her whole—it's just so fascinating. This whole thing with like Mattel wanting to like use this IP and promote Barbie, and her being like, "Well, I'm not going to make a movie that's just like Barbie propaganda." Which mm-hmm. is—it's just like—it's so fascinating. So this article, I was just so like her views on what the movie is and what they wanted it to be. And I think like, I've heard it's pretty good. So it's like,
1: i have The two leads are too, yeah. are too good. Gosling and Margot are too good. Got to see it.
2: And I think it's just going to be a weird, it's going to be weird over the top, but I, there's so many good people in it besides them too. Like Issa Rae is in it. Yeah. Um, there's just, yeah, there's a lot of really good people in it. So I, I will be seeing Barbie. I'm not going to do the, I won't be doing the double feature of uh, Oppenheimer and Barbie, Uh barbin hopper or whatever they're calling that day because uh, they both come out on the same day so i won't be doing that but i will see them individually
1: i did see that the what is it, asteroid city which is the wes anderson film
2: yes i did i have not seen that yet did well i haven't either it?
1: i want to see it but okay. i did see that there's a part where they're in a bar and one of them hears a loud noise and they say it was a nuclear bomb or something and i'm like oh. wouldn't it be hilarious if they had that showing at the same time <laughs> nolan's Oppenheimer's showing and that like that time, to, that'd be pretty funny, but nah, it's I, I, I the, want to see it's that. It's in the
2: same sure. same universe. Those two movies exist in the same universe, I
1: guess. <laughs> Maybe, you know, they're, they're enough. well, listen, what yeah. we'll do is all of my favorite guests, like yourself, Colosimo, some other, people who are big nolan i want to get everybody's opinion on oppenheimer so we'll link up again after oppenheimer late this month and then and then uh give some takes on that once we've gotten a little bit away from it and more people can see it uh we'll we'll do that that should be fun so jordan listen dude this is a weird pod but a fun pod and i always appreciate your time
2: man (laughs) hey man weird but fun is all i do that's that's all i want so appreciate you having me on man
1: This is a good time of year to do some different off the wall stuff. So appreciate that idea from uh, a listener. I think it worked out pretty well. And then some good stuff there around Cleveland sports and some movies for you as well. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it. Check out the OBR where we have some great stuff going on, continuing to pop up on the website during cornerback week. And then if you're interested in Jordan Zamani Bates, uh, write up, you can find that on his Twitter profile uh, as well. Go check that out. If you want to read up about um, just, you know, the weirdness around that, basketball player and some of the wild takes that are out there around what he'll become so thanks to jordan for being here we appreciate you guys stopping by and listening have a great thursday great interview the pod we know we always appreciate that taking time to do that so uh, thanks again guys